Broadcasting from the Mid-Migration Outfitter Studios, this is the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? Minnesota DNR had reintroduced him into this area. I don't know, maybe you didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I I knew you were going to go there. I'm going to close the entire hunting season. Oh, really? The Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. By Hay Bale Heights on Devil's Lake. Visit haybaleheights.com for more. By Ottertail County. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That was another, uh, another wild trip, Corey. Yeah, we're pretty famous for that. <laughs> Zero plans, just hit the road and go where the wind blows us. So when you told me, you called me and said, hey, I want to do this turkey trip, and I want to do it in like a, like the next week or two, I said, you're crazy. I said, there's no way I can go. And then uh, I want to thank Dan, because without him helping out back home, I wouldn't have been able to go. But uh a week later, we were on the road headed south. Yep. The plan was like four states probably, and to try to kill something like 12 turkeys. <laughs> yep. And that's a pretty ambitious goal. Yeah, it was definitely an ambitious goal. I, I mean, I try to shoot for the moon doing something like this, and we, we didn't shoot our 12 turkeys, but wasn't for the lack of effort, that's for sure. Lots of effort. Well, we ran into a problem right away when the guy we were gonna meet up with in Kansas had COVID. Yeah, COVID detoured us from Kansas over to Missouri right away. So that that was kind of where one state went. And uh, well, we started in Nebraska. We ended up yeah, did start in Nebraska. Going straight to Nebraska. Yep. Um, went there kind of as a prelim scout hunt for a day look this east part of the state over and um, we didn't find much in Nebraska no it, it was tough but it was a nice scouting mission at least because we figured we'd probably end up there after Missouri anyway yeah right so we got to I mean I've never hunted turkeys in Nebraska I had nowhere to go it was all DIY stuff between public land or or we tried to knock on a few doors and you know, it's it's uh, it's hard to get on private land, especially for turkeys in those states. I think they get they get asked a lot in some of those places. Yeah, absolutely. We kind of focused a lot of effort down that early part of the trip down that southeastern part of the state, and I tell you what, we're driving around not seeing hardly any turkeys or hearing any turkeys at all. We were seeing raccoons so all raccoons. over the place in every field, out during the daylight, in cornfields, chowing down. Um, and when we were, would find a couple turkeys here or there, try to get permission from the landowners, the landowners would say, you know, for the last three or four years, that turkey population's really gone downhill. We don't hardly see any of them anymore. And ground nest predators would be the culprit to that, in my opinion. I've never seen that many raccoons in one area before and uh you know go to an area where there's supposed to be a lot of turkeys and there's hardly any at all uh that kind of i mean it's pretty self-explanatory that uh the the area 
if I can kind of paint the picture a little bit, it's heavily farmed, heavy agriculture area with a lot of rolling hills, a lot of terraces, and then a lot of draws in those fields. The draws would have a creek running through them or a ditch, and then there they would be wooded or grass along some of the creeks. And basically from a hen's perspective, that's really the only place to nest is in around those draws someplace. And that's where the coons live as well during the day. And then the coons are traveling up and down those draws. So basically to have those eggs sit there for, I mean, if the hen were to lay an egg and wait till the egg hatches and then wait for that little chick to get big enough to fly up to even just the first limb, you're talking a time frame of like six weeks that that little either egg or little tiny chick is on, is on the ground six weeks of exposure to all types of ground nest predators. It's just way too much exposure. And I'm fairly confident that there's no turkeys around there to, you know, to really speak of and no jakes, but we didn't see any jakes. There's just no young turkeys and uh, they're just getting gobbled up before they can hatch or, or just right after they've hatched, you know, a little chicken nugget for a, for a raccoon or, or coyote, possums, skunks. So, I would say if I lived or hunted a lot in that area or all of Nebraska, I would have uh, <laughs> an extensive uh, raccoon trap line yes. and I would maintain the heck out of that thing. I'd be curious what, what would cause, you know, if the raccoon population has always been that strong and maybe there was just a couple years of bad hatches with turkeys and the, those bad hatches were com compounded by the large population of uh, ground nest predators, mm -hmm. and that's what's caused a, you know an even bigger decline in turkey numbers. Or if there's been an increase in predators like that, uh, I learned you know I didn't do a lot of turkey hunting growing up, and there was a couple of reasons for that. We my family didn't turkey hunt a whole lot. Uh, I'll be honest, one of the reasons I didn't turkey hunt is because I'd always turn on outdoor television, sportsman channel or whatever, and I'd, I'd look for waterfall shows, and it would just be turkey hunting, turkey hunting, turkey hunting, oh, but whitetail bow hunting, okay, turkey hunting, turkey hunting. And I got so sick of turkey hunting shows, and I was trying to find a, a waterfall show, that I would get Hold mad. Oh, there's a deer. There, there's a deer, a couple deer right there. And then uh, I, I, turkey, I got into turkey hunting, I saw the appeal to it, in the first year I went turkey hunting, I sat on a nest of uh, a, wood, a, a wood tick nest, and I had wood ticks everywhere. And I'm freaked out by Lyme disease. So, and then where I live in Western Minnesota, the turkey population isn't doing as good, or we just don't have a good enough habitat for it, whatever, whatever the case may be. The turkeys we have get hunted pretty hard and it's hard to get on ground. So I just haven't done it much. So that, that was one thing that this trip taught me was just a lot about turkey behavior and and obviously how to be a better turkey hunter but just a, a little bit about where they live how they act how they interact with each other and how they interact with other species mm -hmm. so it's been half a mile turn left onto 150th street the trip is almost over we're almost there uh it's been eight days we've been on the road and we pretty much hunted every single day yeah i I'd be curious to see how many miles we have walked. I bet you it's a solid 40 
per person. It's not even more than that, because it's, yeah, for sure been over five miles a day. We put on a lot of miles in, uh, in a lot of really cool country. And I hadn't been in that part of Missouri before, and I had met Joe Harris before. He's a pretty, pretty good guy. Yeah, he's awesome. He opened up his all of his turkey connections for us. It was a great time running the woods with him and seeing um, a, some different styles and different techniques of turkey hunting. He's got a pretty cool business where he builds floating blinds for waterfowl hunters, which I'm gonna have to put one of those in my backyard. Absolutely, it's, it's everyone needs one. Blind spot outdoors. It's uh, some pretty cool stuff. We went on, now I'm not gonna say it's one of my most memorable turkey hunts because I only have a handful of turkey hunts in, in total, but I'm gonna say it was. it's gonna be one of my more memorable hunts of anything, uh, probably in a thunderstorm. Yeah, <laughs> that got pretty Western. <laughs> pretty quick <laughs> yeah it, it did how have you ever hunted uh a lot of people ask how do you hunt turkeys in in the rain and what do you tell them when they when they ask you that um probably go home wait for it to quit <laughs> raining and then get them right after the rain they should be fired up if the sun comes out but we fortunately had a bunch of thunder and lightning close by and uh so the turkeys were gobble every time it would thunder. So we knew where the turkeys were at. And for the most part, they were pretty quiet other than that thunderstorm coming through. So it actually worked out to our advantage. We were able to locate a couple birds and, and put a very interesting stalk and sneak on uh, a group of unsuspecting turkeys along that creek. If I remember right, we were, we were actually gonna take a break, I think, to avoid the rain and then we were sitting there in the field talking or whatever, and then we closed a, a truck door. Yep. And we heard a gobble. We all looked at each other and like, well, here we go. Let's do it. And it started pouring, and the next thing you know, we were, we were sneaking through that creek, and the water was coming up in the creek, the current was picking up, and at one point we were walking through <laughs> like waist-deep waist water. Waist-deep, yeah. Man, and we were just par like paralleling those birds for a little while. Yep but we didn't get them. It was close. It was real close. But I was the, I had filled the tag, so I was the cameraman, and I was staying back a little ways. Brett and Joe were creeping forward while they went left, the turkeys went right. I, with the camera, was actually the closest to the turkeys and had them two toms in range while these guys were about 80 yards away from them and didn't see them. So lo and behold, um, cameras are just bad luck most of the time. There was, there was a recurring theme along every day of this trip, all eight days, and that was Corey should have a gun in his hands at all, at all times. <laughs> I, I think I could pretty much end world hunger if I did that. Like a one-man wrecking Man. ball in the natural resources of... <laughs> God dang. What, so what I learned the most, though, while I was in Missouri, uh, and this may be the most important aspect to this trip, is... Joe had his, his lab with uh, June, and he'd let her get out and run a little bit when we'd be done turkey hunting, getting ready to drive to the next spot. He'd let her run out and get some exercise he had her with. And she'd come back to the truck covered in ticks. And we wore the sickest stuff with uh, the insect guard. Yep, insect, insect guard. In, insect yeah, guard. the Equinox guard hoodie and pants that has a chemical baked into the fabric and it has a couple other um, 
tick preventatives worked into the clothing. So basically this stuff is as anti-tick and anti-mosquito as you can get. And we put it to the test with all those miles that we walked in tick country, tick habitat, and uh, did not have a single one on us the whole time. Not one in eight days of hunting hard, mm -hmm. crawling, sitting, kneeling, walking. Uh, and like I said, every time that dog was outside, she had ticks all over her. Yeah. So it's amazing. It, like, hands down, I can't believe it because ticks freak me out. And down there, I saw my first Lone Star tick. And that's a little one. It looked like our wood ticks up north, only just a white dot in the middle of the back. And those are the ones that mean you'll never eat a steak again in your life. So like Lyme disease freaks me out, but not being able to red meat really freaks me out. Yeah, the red meat allergy that you can get from that Lone Star tick, not good. Um, I know someone that had that for a while, uh, big life changes if you have to cut red meat out of your diet completely. So uh, scares the heck out of me, that's for sure. Well, we got to spend a few days at Joe's. Uh, Joe, thank you very much, by the way. <laughs> Corey's like, yeah, we're gonna go on this trip. We're gonna hit four states, we're gonna shoot a bunch of turkeys. I'm gonna bring a tent, we'll just camp the whole time. So I'm all prepared for sleeping outside in a tent this whole trip. And uh, we get to Joe's, he had, he had a nice place for us. Yeah, I had a giant fifth wheel <laughs> camper in a shed for us. Um, here you go, here's your guys' turkey camp. Like, well, this couldn't have worked out any better. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, of course, we ate really well. Corey brought all kinds of stuff for us to eat and cooked all the time. Thank you very much. Uh, well, I hunt so I can go hunting some more. So that's what we ate was all the stuff that I had shot and processed in previous hunting trips. So that's why I hunt is just so I can keep hunting and keep <laughs> so eating got while the food. I'm hunting. <laughs> uh, we ate snow goose, uh, mallard, uh, salmon, salmon, whitetail, whitetail, Canada goose, goose. I don't um, think we ate any of the turkey. We did not. We didn't cook up any of the turkey. <laughs> saving that, that for turkey pot pie, my wife's specialty. It's saving that for the next hunting trip. The maybe. next hunting trip, absolutely. So then we we spent a couple of days in Missouri and then decided to go back to Nebraska and hunted hunted some of uh, just some really cool country in Nebraska. Oh, Went to a completely different part. Was... Actually, we started. We started back in the southeast again, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, started back there and <laughs> struggled, struggled, struggled. You know, uh, you know why we went back there though? Because we saw those two toms when we were there the first time, couldn't get on the land. And it was probably, it would have been the easiest two turkeys. Slam dunk. The whole trip. Tags would have been filled. We sat there minutes. staring at them at about 25 yards away uh, while we were in the car trying to get permission and couldn't get permission on them and then left the state. Three days later, you got permission <laughs> over the phone, call, finally tracked down the landowner. He said, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Which if you'd have said that three days earlier, we would have been golden. So we go back there, tried to hunt them, mm -hmm. and spent more time searching for oil. Yeah, that got, I mean, that took a pretty interesting turn. <laughs> really fast because this guy that the neighboring landowner saw us drive by with out-of-state plates so he sees us drive by and we heard that he was some anti-hunter or whatever and he had a pretty pretty interesting farmyard um, with like a lifetime of collection of stuff everywhere so we knew he's a little bit of a goofy dude 
he comes whipping out of the driveway with some crusty old minivan and tracks us down because we were slow rolling by his property trying to find these two toms we just needed to spot them and locate them while he tracks us down and uh what are you guys doing around here oh we're just you know we're just looking for some turkeys are you looking for oil uh, no, not, we're not looking for oil, nope. I guess. Well, do you want to see some? I got oil on this property down here. It's coming out of the ground. It's coming out of the ground. Do you guys know anyone that is in the oil industry? You want to come take a look at it? Or like, well, if we go walking through there and the turkeys happen to be there, well, then we're probably looking for oil. Then we'll probably bump the turkeys down to the land that we can hunt. So I'm like, yeah, let's go. Let's go walk this guy's land with him and look for turkeys. Well, we were looking for turkeys. He was yeah. showing us all the oil. All the oil. I mean, he was he was a nice guy. It was just it took two or three hours. Yeah, <laughs> like all day. Hard day. Oh my gosh. To find oil. Uh, so if you're in the oil business, he said he'd give us some money if if they start <laughs> drilling oil. If you guys give me an oil guy to come drill here, I'll give you some money. So if you drill for oil, let let us know. We got that going for us. But the most interesting part of the trip had to be when uh, it was one of the last days of the trip, and we split up on this public piece of property, and all of a sudden I catch some movement. I'm sitting up on this high hill. I catch some movement, I glass, and I see he's kind of a ways off, so I can't really tell what I'm looking at. And I look... That's not what I just saw. I look again, and it's a guy running dogs with a longbow, and it looks like he just has a big, long overcoat on. I can't figure out what I'm looking at, like, what's going on here? And so I text Corey, and I'm like, hey, there's there's another hunter here. Uh, he's got dogs and a longbow. I was like, are you sure it's not a walking <laughs> stick? Is he just out walking his dogs? And he's like, I don't know. He wasn't carrying it like a walking stick. He was kind of carrying it like a longbow. like a longbow to me. And so when we get done hunting that day, he, we're parked in the same lot. He comes back in and walks up. And sure enough, here comes this guy with a longbow and uh, two dogs and a kilt. A kilt and lots of wool and a backpack. Well, when you say lots of wool, I mean, well, yeah, there was lots of wool, but there lots. was one section of the body that didn't, <laughs> didn't have uh, anything on it. Uh, so we ended up talking to him. He was, a, he was a really interesting guy. He was out there doing some research, too. He's a master naturalist. His name was uh, Parsifal, and he's actually going to be on the show. We yeah. actually sat there and interviewed him and talked to him, and I asked him a question about wearing a kilt with nothing underneath it while you're deer hunting, uh, turkey hunting, whatever, walking through the woods. And, uh, uh, well, I'll just wait for him to answer that question for you because... You gotta be a little bit. You gotta be <laughs> you, a little careful. You know, Parsifal isn't trespassing because he's not gonna climb. He's not gonna. <laughs> he's not gonna cross any barbed wire fences <laughs> with a guilt on. Man. Oh. Well. Hey, Brett. Have you ever seen anyone wearing a kilt, shooting a longbow, hunting turkeys with two dogs? Well, as a matter of fact, Corey Laughlin. Yes, I have. Uh, you guys are gonna want to catch this. <laughs> Stay tuned. We got something for you. You know, one really cool thing about how we found spots to hunt in Corey was what you did as we were driving down. You said, hey, can we, because you, you taught me something too about scouting for turkeys. You want to find big, big tracks of woods, you know, t big timber. And you were like, hey, can we do that with the OnX app somehow? And you figured it out. Yeah, I turned the, um, it's more deer hunting layers 
designed probably for deer hunters to find out different types of trees in the area but i just typed i just turned on all of the woods and forest layers and then zoomed out a little ways on the map so that only the big tracks of timber showed up in bright red blocks on the map and then we focused our attention on big tracks of timber and if to go back to the ground nest predator thing um the big track of timber basically just gives the hens more square miles or square footage to nest in that isn't as heavily populated with the ground nest predators they can hide a little bit easier so that's why there was turkeys in those areas it worked out great because we ended up finding some some big pieces and then we we kind of cross-referenced that with pieces that were public pieces that were private we knocked on a couple of doors we did get some access to land we got a whole lot of no's uh and that's just i think because they get asked, some of those guys will just get asked constantly i think didn't somebody say they get they got asked five times already that week or yeah something like that but um but it, it definitely was a, a huge help for us and then you shot uh, a couple of turkeys all with the 410 yeah you bet that last one tell us about shooting that last one on public land well we had chased this one gobbler in the morning we actually i'm pretty sure we heard him the night before put him to bed we got in there early that next morning um i we had him close just right over a ridge probably within 80 yards of the gun barrel or so and he was with the hen he was gobbling like crazy and then got spooked heard something and he ended up taking off down the hill and then i heard him gobble way down in the bottom and then um a little while later saw a turkey up on another knob that with a hen that was the same direction that he was traveling and i just made a beeline for him i knew he was going to be up there so i checked out the onyx map i planned a route to there and oh ran into that crazy school bus that oh, was upside yeah. down in the ditch while i was on my way i was like oh okay i gotta check this out dropped a pin on the school bus headed back into the woods up the up the hill uh he had just made it over to the next knob i kind of I, I was kind of dog trailing him a little bit and uh got in pretty close to him hit the call he responded to that saw the decoy and he just immediately turned around turned his attention on that decoy and then just came right back so he was he was one knob over from me basically and turned around and drug that hen with him and then came up the came up the hill just textbook probably hill country nebraska turkey hunt this that big old strutter coming up over the hill and oh man i was excited i got some of it on film and then i had to get to fill and tag so i dropped the phone and camera and uh picked up the 410 and i let him have it at about 12 yards or so and it was it was pretty awesome that's one thing i also learned about running gunning for turkeys is it's really hard to film it <laughs> <laughs> we struggle a little bit with filming filming the the turkeys uh when they would come in how oh, they have just such good eyesight and if you're not set up in a blind it's extremely difficult to get the cameraman hid in a place where you mm -hmm. can hide this big black 
colored lens and you know the camera guy is usually the one moving the most and they can pick out the slightest amount of movement from so far away and any one little thing we're hunting public land these birds are extremely pressured we saw a ton of different hunters there so any one little tiny thing that they see wrong with the situation or setup they're just going to turn right around and just head head out the other way and we saw that, that happened a lot that's one of the reasons you probably like turkey hunting, isn't it? Um, the what, challenge of it. The challenge, yeah. I mean, it's just so addicting to go out there and get your butt kicked over and over again and then finally find some success or get really close. And, uh, yeah, I just I love the chase. I love those birds. I love eating them. Um, I love the chase, and I love eating them more so than I like shooting them. I don't like shooting yeah. them that much, but you got to shoot them if you want to eat them. So uh, got some turkey pot pie coming up in my near future i'm pretty excited to get home you, cook some of that you like talking to them though too i bet yeah i uh i my favorite part is probably picking fights with hens getting a real vocal hen and picking a fight with her and then s like hearing what i would consider swear words coming out of her mouth chewing me out for something and uh that's probably some of my favorite stuff but the hens that we ran into on this trip were very quiet mm -hmm. and couldn't really get a rise out of any of them um so like getting a gobbler to gobble well you could you could honk your car horn you could slam a door you could blow a crane call you could blow an owl hooter you know a bunch of different things to get a a, a response out of a gobbler but those hens when you really get into the down and dirty speaking turkey turkey language to them and you start hearing some of the four letter words come out of their <laughs> mouth that is some fun stuff yeah well it it was uh another epic trip i can't i know you can't just throw that word around but it was it was pretty wild got to see some really cool things meet some interesting people and just spend a spend a week out outside hunting, yeah which uh, uh w w last question is how what differences did you notice between birds back home in Minnesota versus birds down south? I, um, the gobblers shut up or, or, or quit gobbling really early. Um, this morning, they, there was turkeys in the area and they were almost, almost non-vocal at all. And uh, yesterday they were done gobbling at 6 42 in the morning is about like the last 10 time. minutes after sunrise oh yeah it's uh, the sun hasn't even hardly came up yet and they were done so yes i mean it, it was just constant learning something new a new thing that you had to do it yesterday what we found out is like when you hear a gobble you have to get there as fast as you can as quiet as you can without getting detected and try and get a response out of that bird um otherwise he's just going to quit gobbling so you know chasing public land birds they quit gobbling pretty early you have to make moves fast you have to think on the fly and uh um, i just love the hill country and up and down the hills you get down in some of those bottoms and the ravines and you can't hear anything and you get up on top and you can hear gobbles all over and um you know back home it is flat as a pancake which has its own uh benefits and and difficulties as well but i don't know hunting turkeys on flat ground just definitely isn't as exciting as hunting them in hill country uh, just because of the just the the way you can use the terrain and you're you have to plan a route with onyx to get from point a to point b and it might be you have to walk a mile and a half around them or something like that to get to the spot that you need to get to but um there's always that option that availability so 
I, uh, I, I loved it. Uh, I've only hunted turkeys in, you know, a couple other states. And uh, this was a bunch of new stuff for me as well. And uh, learned a whole bunch on the trip. And it was a blast. I appreciate you coming with on moment's Dude. notice. And yeah, <laughs> I'm glad it worked out. It was awesome. And we need to plan another one. And somehow we need to work Art Diaz into that one too, because we, can, we stop and see him every time we do this. So oh. he'll have to be a part of the next one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. So it's not every day that you go turkey hunting and you're sitting up on top of a ridge and you're glassing across looking for turkeys and you see a guy with a bow, <laughs> with a bow and a couple of dogs walking through. I spotted you from up there when you oh, got here you? and came walking out. <laughs> and uh, I, wasn't, I couldn't tell that it was a bow at first so I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Tell me what you're doing. I'm hunting turkey with a longbow uh, in the wildlife management area. All right. Uh, what's your name, first of all? Parsifal Smith. All right. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. All right. What made you decide to hunt turkeys with a longbow? You know, I've I've been hunting a lot of animals with a lot of different weapons, and the older I've gotten, the more interested I became in. People call them primitive. I, I hunt primarily with flintlocks and longbows. I, it's the simplicity, the challenge, the... I'm not even sure if it's the challenge as much as just the, the kind of purity of it. Hmm, or sure. hearkening back to another time. I don't even know if that's it. I just really enjoy it. It's just a lot of fun. You know, longbow, you can shoot anytime, anywhere. And a flintlock, you get lots of fire and spark. And so it's, it's just a lot of fun. Now, it was a little cool this morning. We camped last night. I think it was 36 degrees, 34 degrees, something like that. Yep. So we were dressed a little bit warmer. At least I was dressed a little bit warmer this morning. Uh, <clears throat> how cold does it get wearing a kilt when you're turkey on? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> not at all. If people have the wrong idea, kilts are really warm. This okay. is nice thick wool, double layered, uh, and it keeps the, the body heat here, but it doesn't let you get... One of the things that I always hated about hiking and, and climbing and hunting was the heat that radiates when you're wearing pants. Oh, sure. And when you got a kilt on, I mean, there's a reason all these Scottish guys wear kilts. You can go through the grass and the water and nothing gets tangled up and you got that free flow of air. And uh, of course, you always wear your kilt the regimental style, you know, so there's nothing <laughs> under there, nothing to keep the wind from, nothing to keep the breeze oh boy. from blowing. But they like they That's say great. when you're hunting with tree stands with a kilt, uh, <laughs> you're always the last up and the first down. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Uh, did you see any turkeys today? I did see turkeys today. I saw three of them down in a, a, a little bottom and then had a gobbler walk by a tree line when I was sitting on the edge of a, sitting up on a ridge and there was a gobbler walking on the tree line. 
but I didn't get a shot. No, but you shot a couple with your longbow. I have shot a couple with my longbow. Tell me about them. Well, just, let's see, there was one here last year or the year before. Uh, down in one of the draws over there, I was listening to the gobbles, and I hadn't really, this is only my third year, second, third year hunting turkey, and I'm doing it kind of like I hunt elk out west. If I hear the bugle, I go in the direction. If I hear the gobble, I go after the, the bird, and... Uh, I heard the bird and it kept gobbling and I kept moving toward it um, and it was up on a little ridge and I came out of the woodlands and it was walking with a few hens and uh, I was able to inch my way up to the ridge where I get a clear shot and, and took the shot and got hmm. it right in the back. There's something about being able to sneak up on an animal like that, isn't there? There is something about stalking animals. It's, uh, it's definitely the most rewarding way to hunt. And a lot of times it seems almost like it's accidental. You know, you're moving really slow and sure you jump things, but, but every now and then it just all comes together, you know, mm -hmm. and, and there's nothing better than that feeling where you've been moving slow and deliberate through the woods uh, and, and you get an animal 20, 30 yards away and get a shot. Yeah, that's that's what I love about archery hunting in general. And in, in shotgun hunting for turkeys, you can end up getting pretty close to, to the animals too. But when it comes to, say, whitetail or other big game, you have to be up close yep. when you're using archery equipment, yep. particularly more primitive style archery equipment. Yep. And, and and I think, I mean, I enjoy hunting whitetails. I enjoy eating whitetails. Everybody likes to shoot a big buck, but I, it doesn't need to happen. But I think my favorite part is just being that close and seeing animals kind of in their natural movements. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, it's a kind of intimacy. And I think as hunters, you know, that's what we're after. If you, if you just wanted to be in the woods as a, as a tourist, you know, where you're just walking through the woods and enjoying the woods and or any open space or, or wilderness, that's great. You're, you're enjoying the space, but you're not really, you don't really have that deep connection. And as a hunter, the more you seek out that deep connection, it tends to be the more primitive kind of weapon that you use. A, a kind of, a weird kind of intimacy. You know, if you can hunt something with a longbow or a flintlock, you've developed a kind of relationship that you don't get with a rifle. You know, and, and maybe that's why I do it. Uh, it's that, that feeling. It's the reward is, yeah, it's just that, that, that connection to the land mm -hmm. and, and, and doing what you're supposed to do. You know, you're hunting because it's what we're supposed to do. That's right. Uh, you, were, you weren't just hunting out here today, though. You were taking some pictures? Taking pictures, too, doing some stuff for... Uh, conservation, uh, checking out some of the plants that are growing, trying to identify them, um, noting the trees, looking at what trees are producing, if there's going to be any kind of acorn uh, crop this year. Um, yeah, and saw some flowers that were interesting. And, and a lot of times, you know, you don't know if the plants you're looking at are quote unquote invasive, you know, and if they're if they're invasive, they're so pervasive now that, that, they, that they're part of it, you know, and they're not going to yeah. get rid of them. But, but it'd still be interesting to know what they were, so, yeah. Yeah, what, at what point does something invasive become, uh, you know, almost native? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, once it gets there and you can't get it out, then, then live with it, you know. Yeah. Uh, 
So, so what did you find out here today then? Anything interesting? I don't interesting? know what it is. I don't know. I think the, I've heard it was garlic mustard, hmm. uh, a plant. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Uh, I was looking to see if the mushrooms would come up, of course, being self-interested, seeing if there were any morels <laughs> sure. popping up, you know, but I didn't see any of those. And uh, I went to a few places where I know they tend to grow. Hmm. Um, I found a couple trees in a in the bottom, some black walnuts that I didn't know were we're out here, uh, the black walnut trees, and uh, yeah, so yeah. What do you think about the acorns? I don't know, you know, it's been so dry here the last few years that uh, uh, I was concerning. In fact, all through the autumn and the winter when I was in here hunting deer, and I was probably in here two, three days a week, I didn't see any turkey. Hmm. I didn't see any turkey. And usually you'd see turkey all the time. I didn't see any, I didn't see any sign. And then we got a rain, a good rain in here, uh, right before archery turkey season. And I think the first day I went out, there was it was really dry. There was hadn't been any rain, and I didn't see any turkeys. It rained all day the next day, and I went out the day after that, and there were turkeys all over the place. Hmm. So I don't know if that's what brings them in. You know, you can really see where they've been scratching mm -hmm. uh, in the bottoms and on the hillsides, pulling the leaves away. I, in fact, I was parked here in the parking lot and. Heard a bunch of them scratching over the hill oh, right yeah. by the parking lot. So Yeah. Uh, we're in Nebraska. We've talked to, we've, we've hunted from the southern part of the state to the northern part of the state, east and west. We've been all over the state. We've heard from a number of people that the population is down in Nebraska. Have you heard that or do you know? I haven't heard that. I, I knew that, that a couple guys that I'd seen here who came from New York said there were a lot of hunters out west. And... I've seen some big flocks of birds. I'm not sure is a flock the right name for a turkey. Sure. Turkey. Big, big groups of turkeys in the ag fields close by here. Uh, and I haven't gone a day out here without seeing turkeys hmm. and hearing gobblers. So it's been good. So at least it's this area's good. got a good I, population. I think, I think it could be a little less than hmm. a few years ago. And I don't know if that has to do with the drought, hmm. but it's not bad. What else do you hunt other than turkey? Here I hunt deer. Here I hunt deer. You and do squirrels. And you've hunted elk? I've hunted elk, yep. Elk you, and bear out west. Do you uh, do that in a kilt too? Say that again? Do you do that in a kilt too? I do everything in a kilt. Do you really? Well, I don't do everything in a kilt. <laughs> but, uh, I don't go to work in a kilt. But yeah, I, uh, I just, I, it's just the most comfortable way to get around. Hmm. I think I, it's really comfortable. It's really flexible it's uh you get a good kilt i mean you can't buy some costume thing it's got to be a real kilt and it can't where, be where do you get a, a real kilt. kilt yeah and when, so, if so, somebody wanted to get one right now somebody's watching this or listening and saying i gotta do that i gotta go turkey hunting in a kilt where do i where does he start i get my kilts from a company called ut kilts uh, i think he's in salt lake but he's got a lot of different kilts you know, you, you give the rights. He shows you how to size them and how to order them. You take care of that and uh, you get what you want. There's, I don't know how many different patterns there are because of all the clans, you know, have their own kilt. I have no interest in the, uh, or knowledge of the clans. I know that, that my family, of course, like a lot of Anglo people have come from Britain and, and Scotland and, uh, but, and my wife is Scottish, but um, for me, it's just, if it looks like it'd be good in the woods, then 
I order a kilt up and I've, I've had them and they're good solid wearing kilts. They last a long time. They're tough. Uh, and wool <coughs> is good because it doesn't hold odor. So this is kind of a delicate question, but it's a, it can be a little dangerous walking through the woods in a kilt. You know what? You don't really appreciate the <laughs> See, dangers. you knew exactly where I was going yeah, with that. You don't appreciate the dangers of wearing a kilt until you cross a barbed wire fence. <laughs> you know? Oh, man. <laughs> when you start crossing barbed wire fences with a kilt, you're like, I'm really going to think about this before I step over this fence, you know? So, that's funny. But well, I haven't had any accidents yet. Oh, so. well, that's good. Well, it was nice to meet you. Yep. And I appreciate the time here. And uh, again, it's, you know, we, we've run into some interesting people. You run into interesting people when you hunt anyway. But on this trip, we've met a, a lot of interesting people. This may top it, though. When you're, when you're walking through the woods and see somebody coming through with a long bone kill. Tell me who the two dogs are here. So you got Blue here, who's a healer. Both these dogs came off the Navajo Res. Oh. Come here, Blue. I found him. He was big as a teacup. Someone had dumped him on the side of the road, and uh, he was looking pretty scared and lonely. He was about eight weeks old. And so I picked him up, and I thought about giving him away and, and just had him for a day. And actually, interestingly, I had an old dog. And I had him one day Hi, with us. And the old dog, I came home. The next day, that afternoon at school while I was teaching, I decided, you know, I was trying to give him away, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to keep him. And I got home that afternoon, that evening, and the old dog came over to me, got in my lap, and died. Oh, no. <laughs> the same day, I decided to keep him. Mm. And then the spaniel, same thing. He followed some kids to school. He can't hear anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he followed some kids to school, and... Uh, he was about four months old, and I took him in. Yeah, buddy. Come here. I took. I Camera took shy. In. Yeah, I took him in, and uh, I I had him, and I told the students. One of the students said, "Well, I know whose dog that is." And I said, "Well, they're just going to let it run around. You uh, you tell them I got it. They can come get it for me." And I took him out bear hunting, and he got really lethargic. Hmm. And. There's a lot of uh, parvo on the res. Oh, sure. And a lot of people will go to the pet store, see a cute dog, buy it, but not get shots for it. So it was a Saturday. I took him to a vet, waited five hours for the vet. He had parvo. She said, there's two options. For a thousand bucks, we can keep him 100% recovery. For 400 bucks, we'll hook him up with some IV stuff. You can feed it to him yourself. And he's got about an 80% chance. And I said, hmm. well, give me the $400 thing. He's not my dog. So after that weekend and I, he got better, I told that student, I said, if you see the people again, tell them the dog's mine now. <laughs> so What's his I've name? I've had him for 12 years. Owen. Owen. Owen and Blue. Very cool. Yeah. Owen and Blue. All right. Well, thanks again and uh, good luck the rest of your time out here. Thank you. This has been the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or visit us at FindingFurAndFeathers.com. 852 million acres of public land, 147 million private properties, all in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx.